you have your Bible with you this morning, I hope you do, please turn in your Bible to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 10 this morning, which serves as our second excursion into a passage that urges us as believers to continue in Christ's completeness. We're studying this book of Colossians because we as a church want to know what the gospel is and how we ought to properly respond to it. After spending 12 weeks going through that topically, the book of Colossians continues that pursuit of Christ and His saving gospel practically. We saw last fall that one of the primary ways we respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ is by being devoted to the Word, throne, and fellowship of grace, yes, but primarily to the Son of grace, Jesus Christ Himself. This is the primary goal of the Christian life. It's Christ. Christ above all. To grow in our love and our devotion and our commitment to Him. This is what the book of Colossians is all about. It's all about leading us along that path of understanding. That path of understanding that a redemption by Christ alone leads to a resolve of Christ above all. As Paul says in Colossians 1.18, that in everything... He might be preeminent. Well, listen. The only way believers will ever live lives like that, worthy of the Lord and devoted to Christ, is if they actually continue to believe after salvation that Christ is all they need. And so it is at this point that the world most fiercely assaults us. See, we live in a world that is constantly telling us that Jesus Christ is not enough. That He's not enough for spiritual freedom or for spiritual fullness. Now, we know that's not true. Jesus Himself said that if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. See, Jesus is all you need for spiritual freedom. He is all you need for spiritual fullness. As we're going to learn today in Colossians 2.10, in this passage as we read it, we are complete and we are filled full in Him. Nevertheless, the world comes along with their siren songs trying to empty us of the fullness that is already ours in Jesus Christ. By telling us that if you want to experience true spiritual freedom, if you want to experience true spiritual fullness then you've got to look outside of Christ and your spiritual union with Him. You've got to read our books. You've got to take on our interpretational frameworks. You've got to add on our special knowledge, our moralistic law-keeping, our mystical experiences, our traditions, our private revelations. You have to follow us and then you'll be complete. Then you'll be satisfied. Then you'll be fulfilled. If you're a believer, if you as a believer are not careful... Those lies will start to empty you of the fullness and the contentment and the fulfillment that you've been given already in Jesus. And so Paul writes this section of Colossians in order that we as believers might know how to continue in Christ's completeness, to not lose that sense of satisfaction and fullness in Him. So how do we do this? How do we continue in Christ's completeness? First, it's by living a life that is attached to Christ. We saw this last time we were together in verses 6-7. through Paul wrote, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. 
See, the Christian life is not simply coming to Christ. The Christian life is continuing with Him. It is not coming to Christ and then moving on to better things. It is coming to Christ and staying with Him because you realize He is the best thing. We have found in Him all that we could ever need or ever desire as you received Christ Jesus the Lord. So walk in Him. And we looked at what that meant two weeks ago. It means being rooted in Him as your true identity. It means being revitalized by Him as your true source of life. It means being reliant on Him as your true strength and confidence. And it means rejoicing over Him as your true joy and peace. That is the first way that we as believers continue in Christ's completeness. It's by living a life attached to Him. Second way we'll look at this morning, and that's by thinking thoughts according to Christ. And this one is really the most fundamental. You will never live a life attached to Christ until you begin to think thoughts according to Christ. For as a man thinketh, Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, so is he. If we are to ever continue in Christ's completeness and live a life attached to him, then we must begin by thinking thoughts that are in accordance to Christ and his truth. So with that in mind, let's read Colossians chapter 2 verses 6 through 10 for some context. Paul writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to us as believers, verse 6, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him." who is the head of all rule and authority. This is the Word of God, who in His steadfast love gives us life that we might keep His testimonies, the testimonies of His mouth. Let's pray. Father, we are blind. Help us to see. We are unbelieving. Help us to believe. Father, we are weak. Help us to obey. Guide us this morning by Your Spirit through Your Word and establish Your truth in each and every one of us that it might transform us for Your glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if we're going to continue to enjoy the fullness that is ours in Christ Jesus and live a life attached to Him, then we must begin, as Paul says in verse 8, to think thoughts according to Christ. This is in verse 8. Paul writes, See to it that no one takes you captive 
by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Paul begins by saying this. He says, see to it. In other words, continually make sure and beware that no one takes you captive. In other words, thinking back to Colossians 1 verse 13, now that you have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son, Jesus Christ, now that you have been delivered from all of that, do not let Satan and his thralls come back for you and capture you by their deceitful snares and subtleties. And this is an extremely strong warning in the Greek. That word, take you captive, was a word that was used back then of slave dealers who would come in and snatch away their victims unexpectedly into a life of horrible servitude. This is exactly what we see today in our modern day slave trade called human trafficking. These wicked men and women will casually enter refugee camps. They'll casually enter supermarkets, airports, city parks. They will, they will look for vulnerable children who have wandered away from their parents and with an empty offer of candy or puppies or anything else, they will physically grab the child and snatch them away in a moment into a horrible life of corrupting servitude that makes you sh- shudder and weep to think about. Considering that danger, what do we as faithful parents do? We faithfully warn our children, stay close to mommy and daddy, right? We say, and if anybody ever tries to talk to you like that, scream, punch in certain places of their anatomy, and run away as fast as you can. It's exactly what Paul is telling us to do here spiritually. It's the exact same command. Now that you're saved, Satan is coming for you. He demands to have you to sift you like wheat. So see to it that you stay close to Christ alone so that you will not be taken in by Satan's empty promises that will lead you into bondage. Oh, believer, be warned. Beware. Now that you belong to God, Satan is continually trying to kidnap you, corrupt you, and drag you away from a pure spiritual devotion to Jesus Christ and the truth of His Word. This is the reality. As Peter says in his first letter to believers, he is like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He is actively hunting you down, believer. Therefore, continually see to it that no one captures you. How? He says, by philosophy and empty deceit. Let's look at, look at that first word, philosophy. That word literally means the love of wisdom. And it was a word used back then to describe what we would call today as a worldview. Right? A philosophy is any comprehensive, organized system of thought that, uh, that is regarding how to understand God and the world that we live in. So philosophy was someone's worldview. It was, it was the paradigm through which one views all things and all circumstances. And by the way, that itself is not wrong. Having a biblical worldview and having a biblical philosophy for life uh, is vitally important. Understanding God and processing life consistently according to the lenses of Scripture is the only way that you can always be ready to give an answer for anyone who asks you. 
according to 1 Peter 3.15. Understanding life in light of God's Word is the only way that we cannot be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is, as Ephesians 5.17 says. It is only by guarding our paths, our thoughts, and our actions according to God's Word that we, as Psalms 119, verse 9 says, can keep our way pure whether we be young men or old. We can only do these things by developing a comprehensive, organized system of thought that is according to the revealed truth of God's Word. We as believers ought to know not only what we believe, we as believers ought to know why we believe it. We ought to be able to give a defense. Abortion is murder, we say. I ask you the simple question, why? Why? What answers do you give? What verses do you turn to? Marriage, you say, is between one man and one woman. Why? Where do you turn to defend that, that, that assertion? Jesus is God, you say. Why? What verses do you turn to? to defend that belief. Christ is the only way of salvation, you claim. Prove it. You say you're a Bible believer. Where is it? It is critical that we as believers know not only what we believe, but why we believe it. And if you say it's because your pastor told you that, we've got some discipling to do. (laughs) Because our authority is Scripture Alone. Not what other people say about Scripture. So Paul's not saying that having a system of thought about God and the world is in and of itself wrong. We must have a biblical world view. We must have a biblical philosophy. What Paul is really saying here, and hopefully this is helpful, it comes out a little bit more like this in the Greek. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy that is empty deceit. He's defining the type of philosophy, the type of worldview that we must beware of. See, Paul's not warning against philosophy in general, against the love of wisdom, against having a worldview and how to understand the world. What Paul is warning against is a certain type of philosophy, a certain type of worldview that is nothing but lies, he says, based on nothing but empty deceit. What worldviews are those? They are those, Paul says, that are according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Those are the empty world views you ought to flee from as much as you were a child being approached by a kidnapper. First, we are to flee from those world views that Paul says are according to human tradition. In other words, flee from those world views that are nothing but the opinions of men built on the opinions of men that got their opinions from other men and are not squarely and continually built upon the Word of God alone. Flee those. Run away. What are some of those worldviews? I'll give you two examples, and this is always when a pastor gets himself in trouble. First, Catholic doctrine is one. Catholic doctrine is one. They teach that the magisterium and popes, what they have said throughout the ages, is just as authoritative as what Scripture says. It's in their catechism. So, you look at the Catholic Church and you ask yourself the question, why pray to Mary? Why ask blessings from a priest? Why listen to a man who calls himself a pope? Is it because you'll find anything of the sort anywhere within the pages of Scripture? No. 
It is because there was this church council way back when that was confirmed by Pope so-and-so who was made a saint by all these other folks. Tradition laid upon tradition laid upon tradition. Paul says that is an empty, futile, powerless, and deceptive world view. It is built on human tradition and not squarely upon Jesus Christ and His words. It's not based on truth. And by the way, if you study Catholic dogma and the declarations throughout the year, you realize that truth does not contradict itself. Oh, there are so many times a statement is contradicted from one pope to the next. I discovered another such traditional worldview when I was giving a speech, a a speech uh, during speech class at a secular college. I gave a speech concerning the mathematical impossibility of evolution. It's a fascinating topic if you've never studied it. Remarkably, the professor gave me a high score on everything except content, under which he wrote one single sentence in red ink that cost me my grade. But every reputable scientist has believed this for years. First, I question his definition of reputable. But second, who cares how long people have believed something? A 150-year-old false hypothesis is still a false hypothesis. It does not matter how much tradition is behind something or not. The issue is, does it stand the test of truth or does it not? Otherwise, it's just a faulty opinion. Built on faulty opinions. It's a house of cards just waiting to fall down. Jesus railed against such worldviews. His authority was mere tradition in Matthew chapter 15. In verse 1, the Pharisees and the scribes asked Jesus, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? See, they had developed this vast, detailed system of religion, all built on traditions. So Jesus says in verse 3, And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions? Verse 6, For the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. Verse 9, in vain do they worship me, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men. They believed so strongly in their traditions that they they began casting aside portions of God's word. I mean, there was literally the Sadducees. They only believed in the first five books of the Bible. Why? Because the rest of the Bible contradicted all their traditions that they were trying to follow. Does that happen today? Oh, yes. Yes, it does. Listen, there's nothing honoring about tradition. There's nothing sacred about tradition. When the Lord called me into the ministry, one of my great desires as a pastor was to read the Scriptures and to lose every sense of tradition so that we could have biblical teaching and biblical churches grounded not on tradition but on the truth of God's word tradition is often here's what tradition is ready for it it's often just perpetuated human ignorance ignorance that people need to be delivered from in fact as first peter 1:18 says we need to be redeemed from the futile ways inherited from our forefathers see the world says hey if it's old Or, hey, if it's popular, then it must be true. And God warns us, do not be captured by that type of thinking. 
The question is never, is it old? The question is never, is it popular? The question is always, is it biblical? Is it true? Is it from God or is it from man? Where does this come from? Where does this teaching, this philosophy, this idea arise? Second type of empty worldview. There are many examples I could give, but the second type of empty worldview that we are to be aware of are the ones that are according to the elemental spirits of the world. Now that basically means any type of philosophy that is not based off of God's Word, but rather comes from, and this is what God says, the basic understanding of the world. That's not me being rude. Jesus says, or God says here, that any worldview that is not biblical is fundamentally deficient, incomplete, and he says, elemental. In other words, when you abandon God's word for the ideas of this world, it's like abandoning your doctorate to go back to kidney garden. The world says that their ideas and their solutions are so helpful, so intelligent, so unique, but God tells us they all boil down to the same old ABCs, the same old elemental principles of human religion, which is salvation by what? What does the world teach? Salvation by works. The world might advertise some deep, hidden spiritual knowledge, some profound and insightful solution to societal problems. They might claim they've created the Mona Lisa, but it is always the same old finger painting of works. Works. Always works. Look to yourself. Look to your own strength, your own efforts, your own change. Turn over a new leaf. That's the solution. It's never humble yourself as a sinner before God and ask from Him the grace and strength and forgiveness that only He can provide. It's always the same old finger painting of works, works, works. Same old ABCs. The blind, it's the blind leading the blind, as Jesus said in Matthew 15, 14, promising you hope and freedom, but leading you to despair and bondage. This is how Satan seeks to spiritually trap you, believers. It's through your mind. Do you see this? It's through your mind. Satan can no longer have your soul. So to keep you from honoring and glorifying God and being devoted to Jesus Christ in this world, he will go after your mind, your thinking, your values, your beliefs. He can no longer have your soul, so he'll seek to ensnare you through your mind. Not by necessarily, and listen to this, he will seek to do this not by necessarily taking the authority of Christ out of your life, He'll seek to ensnare you by simply adding another authority into it. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 3, Satan seeks to lead our thoughts astray from a sincere and a pure devotion to Jesus Christ. You say, well, how? How does Satan do this? 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, by raising up arguments and lofty opinions against the knowledge of God. See, to capture you, Satan does not need to get you as a believer to stop listening to God. He just needs to get you to start listening to God and something else. And if Satan can trick you into doing that, then just like even the garden, he's got you right where he wants you. Once he's established an opposing authority in your mind and in your heart, he's got his hook in you to lead your thoughts astray from a pure and sincere devotion to Christ and His Word. And suddenly, Jesus is not all you need, is it? 
Suddenly you need Jesus and legalism, Jesus and mysticism, Jesus and aestheticism, Jesus and the knowledge that this person has over here. Suddenly Jesus is not enough. This is how Satan seeks to spiritually entrap you, believer. By getting you to think thoughts according to human tradition and worldly principles. I want you to think this morning, believer. In fact, it might be helpful this afternoon to take out a piece of paper and write down what are the greatest influences on my life and thinking. What do I spend the most time taking information in from? Because I guarantee you, that's where Satan's trying to get you. It's not by making you stop listening to God. It's by starting you listening to God and something else. Satan wants to get you to think thoughts according to human tradition and worldly principles. But listen, beloved, that is not the way to arrive at truth. That is not the way to arrive at freedom. And that is not the way to arrive at spiritual fullness. There's only one way to do that. And that is to think thoughts, as Paul says here, according to Christ. He is the one that we are to come to to find freedom from bondage. He's the one that we are to come to to find abundant life from despair. Jesus is the one that we are to come to to find truth in confusion. And Jesus is the one that we are to come to to find fullness from emptiness. We are to come to Christ and we are to think our thoughts according to Him. As Paul continues to say in 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5, by divine power we destroy strongholds. We de- and you say, well, what is that? We're going to cast down, I don't know, fortresses around America? Are we going to break down Washington, D.C.? No, that's not what he says. By divine power we destroy strongholds. Okay, so what are we supposed to be fighting against as believers? We destroy, he says, strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to obey Christ. And Paul is saying, beginning with myself. I do war with myself by the truth of God's Word. I bring every thought captive to obey Christ, to agree with Him. Ephesians 2.2 says that there is a spirit of this age. A comprehensive worldview that's all around us that is not according to Christ. We must not be taken in by it. There is no neutral messaging in this world. There is either messaging that is drawing you closer to Christ, or there is messaging that is trying to draw you away from it. We must not be taken captive by worldviews that are empty and deceptive. And so if we want to continue in the fullness that is ours in Christ and not be taken captive by the course of this world and empty schemes of Satan, then we have to wage a war for our minds and we have to think thoughts according to Christ. As Paul put it in Romans 12, verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Think thoughts according to Christ. Or as Paul says over in Philippians 4, 4 verse 8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. The things that you have learned, he goes on and says, the things that you have received, the things that you have heard. 
Think thoughts according to Christ. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And whatever does not square with the revealed Word of God, get rid of it. That's how we as believers are to live our lives. As Isaiah 8, verse 20 says, to the teaching and to the testimonies. If they will not speak according to this law, it is because they have no dawn. They have nothing to offer you. No light. They're still in darkness if they don't speak in accordance to the Word of God. So this is where everything begins. For us as believers... This is how you continue in Christ's completeness and you live a life attached to Him. This is how you flee Satan's empty lives and remain devoted to Jesus Christ in the midst of a world who is trying to drive a wedge between you and Jesus. Is by thinking thoughts according to Christ. And the simple application is just screaming out to us. If you wanted me to come up with something novel, I don't have it. But I do have something true for you today. The only way that you can think thoughts according to Christ is if you are actually studying the mind of Christ. You must be in His Word. You must be reading it. You must be thinking His thoughts after Him. So again, I urge you, if you are struggling with this, and I know we all do at times, if you're struggling this morning with anxiety, fear, Troubled thoughts or a downcast soul, I gently but firmly urge you to do two things. First, turn off the world's words. They are not helping you. Turn off the TV. Turn off the radio. Turn off social media. Turn off the magazines, the newspapers, and the books. Trust me, you can do it for a month. You can do it for a week. You'll be okay. Because there is something that you need to be up on more than the daily news. You need to be up on the mind of Christ. Thinking your thoughts after Him. Turn off the world's words if you're struggling with anxiety and despair and depression. Second, turn to Christ and to His words today. And this is what we sing about, right? When all around my soul gives way, He is all my hope and stay. When you are empty, when you're afraid, when you're in turmoil and concern, flee to the Master's feet. Return to His Word. Read it. Write it. Memorize it. Tape it on your mirror. Put it on an index card and carry it in your pocket. Do whatever it takes to think thoughts according to Christ and get among other people who will encourage you to think Christ's thoughts after Him as well. Turn off the world's words and turn to Christ's. Horatio Bonar, the hymn writer, once wrote, My soul is a dry, empty pitcher. Christ is the deep well. Drop in, O my soul, drop in. Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. How do you respond to the gospel and remain committed to Jesus Christ in the midst of this world? It all begins by hearing his words, thinking his thoughts after him. Turn off the world's words. Turn on Christ's. Because Colossians 2.8 is, 2, is clear. 
If you spend your life among the empty philosophies of this world, they will enslave your minds and they will drain you of all spiritual life and vitality. That might be where some of you are this morning. Just absolutely drained. You have no hope. You have no strength. You have no positive outlook on life. Though you name the name of Christ, it's time to turn off the world's words and listen to the words of Christ. If you spend your time in the truth of Christ's words, they will transform your mind and they will fill you with all the fullness of Christ. Jesus Himself promised this. John 15, 11, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be what? Partial? Full. For the words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Do you believe that? May we be in them this week. May we continue in Christ's completeness. May we think thoughts according to Christ. Well, that was my introduction. (laughs) We'll have to look at the rest of the passage next week. But for now, this is the Word of God from Colossians 2.8, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until He comes. To that end. To that end, let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word this morning that comes like a lightning bolt into our lives. Sometimes it really is just as simple as not listening to the serpent and just listening to God. Father, I pray that we would not be like Eve led astray this week by empty philosophies, by human traditions, by the elemental principles of this world. I pray that we would not turn to worldly wisdom or worldly opinions, but Father, I pray that each and every day we would wake up and place our minds into the shaping hands of Your truth so that we might live the rest of the day with minds and thoughts shaped by You and not by this world. We long, Father, to live lives that show that Christ is preeminent. We know that can only happen as we live lives devoted to Him. And we know, Father, that devotion only comes as we listen to Him daily, sitting beneath His feet. So, Father, this morning, pray first of all that You would keep us all from the evil one. Father, keep us from the lies of Satan. Father, keep us Keep us close to the Master's feet. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.